Transfiguration is one of those events in the history of Jesus that doesn't quite make sense at first glance. But now we see in the bigger picture how he was sustaining his disciples through a glimpse of his glory and how he sustains each of us through glimpses of his glory. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, February 10th, 2012. Um, Transfiguration is one of these unusual kind of events in Scripture that I think back as a kid didn't make a lot of sense. And there's a lot of mystery to it. Um, Does anyone know which mountain Transfiguration was on? Yeah, no one does. So you're in good shape. So there's a couple theories on which one it could be. So you know that map in Sunday school, if you ever went to Sunday school, that only shows like three water bodies. One would be the Sea of Galilee, then the Jordan River. I guess that's a water body. And then uh, the Dead Sea. And then over here, this map is for you. I'm doing it in reverse. This is the Mediterranean Sea. You go farther over, you'd run into Greece and then Italy and Spain and things like that. They never show the cool parts of it. They just show like water and it says Mediterranean Sea. So um, way at the tip of the Sea of Galilee is a mountain called Mount Tabor. So many people said, well, this had to be it. It was close to Galilee. This makes some sense. However, at the time of Jesus, there was like this fort kind of mini city on top of it. So then then think about it. It's unlikely that Jesus is being transfigured kind of in the middle of the streets. That wouldn't make much sense. So the other possibility is Mount Hermon, which you'd have to go further north, like about 50 miles. But it's 10,000 feet high, which is pretty high when you have like the Dead Sea down here. So that's quite a climb. And not that I'm saying they couldn't do it, but it's quite a climb and there's snow on it year-round. So maybe the Bible stories are inaccurate when you see the, the nicely uh, grassy meadow as Jesus is transfigured and it shows before his disciples. We don't actually know. This is one of these unusual events. It doesn't really matter where it actually happened. I'm not doubting that it did happen. I'm just saying does it really matter if um, we don't know exactly where it happened? There's a lot of events in Scripture. We don't know exactly pinpoint where it happened. There's no GPS or anything like that. And we know that they did happen. But what's most important is what happened on that day. And why would Jesus choose like that moment to try and show his divinity, that he's true God to his disciples? We're going to talk about that in just a second. So um, just to give a little bit of background so you have some kind of timetable. You may or may not be familiar with this story. But about a week before this, so we're going to say transfigurations over here. So this is our timeline. About a week before this, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's talking to them. And he makes this revelation. He says, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he is going to be um, suffer, die, and rise again on the third day. Now, what you might remember is Peter's reaction. Do you know what Peter says? Peter's the best because he actually said, he's one of these people, if you've ever met anyone who talks out loud, and they brainstorm out loud, especially on the phone. They'll call you up and they'll start talking, and you're like, are you really going to do this, or are you just talking out loud? I have a relative that does that, that does a lot of brainstorming out loud, and you're like, okay, is this for real? Am I supposed to give you advice now or not? This is how Peter operates. So he starts talking out loud. He goes to Jesus, and he says, surely not, Lord. This is not going to happen. You are not going to suffer. You are not going to die. What's Jesus' response? It's pretty brutal. So if you're, this is why it's not in the Bible stories. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You have, in think, you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. Essentially, what is Jesus saying? Peter, step aside. This is part of my purpose is to suffer and die and rise again. This is only a week ago. And actually, very soon after that, Peter makes his best confession of all time when he says, who do people say that I am? And there's like, some people say Elijah, some say this. And then Peter says, you are the Christ 
the son of the living God. That's like right after not understanding that Jesus has to suffer and die. So we're like a week later, Jesus takes them up to this high mountain. We're just going to pretend that it's Mount Hermon. So they go up this very high mountain, and they're on the top, and here's what Matthew has to say about it. Uh, Six days, uh, Luke says about eight. um, Peter, James, and John, those are his closest disciples, the brother of James, are led up a very high mountain, or high mountain, by themselves. And there, just like in a, a normal sentence, there he is transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Uh, the word transfigured is the same word we, where we get our word metamorphosis, which is one you use all the time, right? It's actually a Harry Houdini trick. Does anyone, this is, we talked about hometown heroes. I got to see metamorphosis redone at the uh, Harry Houdini like, uh, area at his anniversary. So what, I was going to explain the trick, but you don't really need to know the trick. Just that YouTube Secrets of Magic Revealed on YouTube, and you can see metamorphosis. But metamorphosis basically means to change figure. So the picture of this trick is like suddenly it's the magician and then suddenly it's the uh, magician's assistant. So that's the idea of it. So this is a change figure. And you ever been trying to explain something that you've never seen before? You have to use metaphors. That's exactly what Matthew's trying to do. He does it here. He says his face is like nightling. Um, Later on, John sees Jesus in heaven, if you've read the book of Revelation. And this is how he words it. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. So try and picture what this would look like, because I've got a couple artist renditions coming up. At white as snow, his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. So John gets to meet Jesus in heaven in this vision, and this is how he sees him. So I got a couple renditions. Here's the first one. What do you think of that one? Yeah. I, yeah. It, his eyes aren't red. I thought you kind of missed that. And the stars aren't kind of in his hands. He looks like he's juggling. So I don't know if that one's the best. Now, the next one I'm not doing to be funny, but um, the next one, there's a guy who has done all the Bible stories, or most of them in Legos. Has anyone ever seen this? They're actually really pretty good. So prepare yourself. This is not to be funny, but I think he's actually more accurate than this guy who did it. <laughs> you guys couldn't resist, could you? But he does have the red eyes, the, the white hair. The double-edged sword is probably just a picture of God's word going out. Remember, um, in Hebrews, he says, my word is like a double-edged sword. He's got the stars. What part did he miss? So if you're... His feet were glowing like bronze in a furnace. I thought it wouldn't have been that hard to make the bottom plate red. That's what I thought. So, I mean, most part he did pretty well. We're going to just go off this picture so you don't have to see it anymore. Um, Where are we getting at? So, and why would Jesus do this? Imagine a week earlier, you get this idea and you find out that your leader is going to suffer and die and be crucified. How would you feel about that if you had... I'm not Jesus, but if you found out, like, I'm going to die soon, that would be kind of depressing, I think. So imagine they have followed this guy, and Jesus is now letting them know that this isn't going to be a kingdom of glory. In fact, I'm going to die. I think this would be kind of hard to get your arms around. And so they're struggling with this idea, what is really going to happen? And they're maybe doubting a little bit when Jesus um, appears with Moses and Elijah. Why would this be a big deal? If you can think of five people, or we'll just limit it to men. If you can think of five men in the Old Testament that you would want to meet, who would they be? 
you're thinking, got a couple ideas? Of course, I showed this, so I shouldn't have showed that earlier. Moses would be one of them, for sure. Any guy who can lead a million plus people uh, when he's 80 years old and then splits the sea and all kinds of cool things like that, I, he's a person you'd want to meet, I think. That guy, he'd be top. Uh, anybody else? David, I think, would be worthwhile. I think he'd be a good one. What about Abraham? This guy had a kid at like 100 years old. I mean, that, that's a guy you've got to meet. He's got to have some vigor to him. He'd be interesting to meet. So I'm thinking like Abraham, Moses, um, just last week we talked about Elijah, which is pretty amazing how he um, had made the widow of Zarephath her oil keep. Anybody else you're thinking of? He's a bad guy, but I thought Goliath would be worthwhile. I mean, as long as he's not threatening me, it says in Scripture he's almost nine feet tall, I think that would be worthwhile um, because then I could recruit him for my basketball team to play against a guy who's six foot eight. So then we'd, be, we'd have like an even matchup and it would be good. So th- we have this amazing thing. What the big deal is, is for these guys, Moses, um, this would have been like their heroes. Uh, David would have been one of their heroes, but Moses would have been one of their heroes too. So just imagine you're Peter. You go up to this high mountain, and there is Jesus, and you finally get to see his real glory. He's like shining like the sun, which would be pretty amazing. And then, like your boyhood heroes, for, Moses has been dead for 1,500 years. Elijah, for like 700 plus, are right there, and they're talking. Would you interrupt at that point, or would you just kind of like just hang out? I think I'd want to stay there forever. And so did Peter. Peter says, it's, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Tell you what, I'm going to build some forts, and you guys can just hang out forever. As a kid, I always thought that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? A grown man trying to like just hang out forever. Because as a kid, you don't fully understand this, do you? When you're a child, the only time, that's the only time in your life you wish you were somewhere else and you wish you were older, right? Because when you're a kid, you're trying to be faster. You're like, man, I can't wait till I'm faster. I can't wait till I'm stronger. I can't wait till I'm older. I can't wait till I can babysit. I can't wait till I can drive. I can't wait till I can smoke cigarettes. I can't wait till I can do whatever. Go to the casino or all these like special privileges. It's not what it's cracked up to be, kids. So you have all these things you're looking forward to, right? Do you still do that as an adult? How many of you have actually been somewhere and you didn't want to leave? As a kid, you're like ready to go. I mean, all the time. You're like, the life is so much farther ahead of us, I can't wait. And I've shared this story before. I got on like this uh, consulting council, I guess it would be, for my high school. So this was this weird thing. So you sit down with all these seniors and juniors and sophomores, and I was the lone freshman. So I'm just hanging out, and they, they ask questions around the table, and they're like, what was the highlight of your high school career? And across the board, so it's going down the line, they're like, freshman year, freshman year freshman year, freshman year. And I remember thinking, this is it? Like, like this, is, this is as good as it's going to get? I mean, this is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's kind of disappointing. How many of you have been somewhere? Anyone go on spring break in college? I don't know what the deal was. So if my mom's listening, I don't fully understand it to this day. She made sure I could go on spring break every year. And so we went skiing three out of four years. So was, this was the best. We went to Utah. We went to Montana. We went to Colorado. I got a photo here. This was my vision of what it would be like every single year I went. So it'd be me and my buddies. You have no responsibility. You got enough money to buy your lift tickets. You just pray that there's powder, and that's all you do. You go hang out. Every single year, I did not want to leave. 
every single year I thought, I could operate one of those lifts. I could say, how's it going, man? I mean, that's not so hard, is it? I could slow the chair down for little kids. I mean, this seemed like the life. I mean, all you do is no responsibilities, just have fun. How many of you have been somewhere where you'd never wanted to leave? You ever go on vacation and you're sitting at the beach with your margarita or whatever it is and you're like, do we ever have to leave? And then you check your bank account and you're like, actually, we have to leave in two days. A day early. (laughs) You know, we've enjoyed this too much. You've all been there, right? So does it seem that ridiculous that Peter didn't want to leave? You know, it's not just uh, like physical locale that we don't want to leave. How many physically have dreamed about being somewhere in the past? When you're a kid, you're always hoping to be something big. But how many of you, I've told you the pinnacle of life was 36, and now I turn 37, so it's going to be 37 is the pinnacle of life. But how many of you look back and said, man, I wish I was as young as I used to be. I wish I didn't hurt when I woke up. I wish I was as fast as I used to be. I wish I had more hair like I used to. Maybe you wish you had less hair than you used to. I mean, do you find yourself dreaming of these things? My um, relative is doing this thing called Healthy Wage. Uh, Healthy Wage or Healthy Wager. Has anyone heard of this? Dot com? It's... uh, Hospitals are putting money into this account so that you put up 150 bucks, and if you lose 10% of your body weight in six months, um, I'm trying not to make eye contact with anyone because it, it makes it look like I'm suggesting something. So, I, so if you lose 10% of your body weight in six months, they give you 150 bucks, so you, you leave with like 300. Does that make sense? You put up 150 and you leave. So a relative of mine is doing this and sent me a text of the picture from like 15 years ago saying this was the pinnacle of my health. That is their motivation. They're saying, I want to be like that again. Can you ever go back in time, no matter how bad you want to? So not, not only does this happen with locations, not only does this happen physically, but I think emotionally this happens on some level too. This, this is where kids actually do come into play. How many of you have been working with kids and they're making progress and they're getting more mature and they're like cleaning up after themselves and then suddenly they revert into a little baby? Some of you are laughing. Your kids are too old, Heidi, for this. I mean, but, I mean, they, they revert, right? They revert emotionally. They're saying, I do not want to face what's coming up. I would rather just kind of stay, actually go backwards. And I think as an adult, you can probably uh, appreciate that too. What is the real appeal of staying in a location? Is it so nice in that location? Or is it the fact that just for a moment, you can forget about your problems? Like, there is no mortgage payment when you're on vacation. Uh, you don't have to worry about being laid off on vacation or wherever. You don't have to worry about, like, the trouble that you're having in this relationship. You don't have to worry about parenting. All that stuff can just slide us, go aside, and you can just say, I'm going to enjoy the moment, and I don't want to move on. Is it so crazy that Peter didn't want to leave? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Of all the people, though, so Peter makes this statement. He says, Lord, this is awesome. We've got we to build some forts, and we've got to hang out here forever. And Jesus, it says in a different account, he didn't know what he was talking about. So then this voice comes down from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So now imagine being the disciples for a second. You have just signed on to follow Jesus for like two years. You're going and you're going and you're going. Do you think at some point they wondered, did we make the right decision? Wouldn't you like that assurance in life? 
I think that'd be the coolest thing ever. Just imagine when you met your future spouse and it was the right one, and when you shook hands, like your hands glowed. You'd be like, yes, this is the right decision. Does that happen with anybody? Nobody. Ours glowed, of course, but I mean, I, I'm sorry you guys missed out. But just imagine making the right decision for like a job, right? How do you know it's the right decision? You're like, I, I, I think this is it. And you kind of grasp for some kind of idea. Imagine when you're talking about something as important as salvation. The disciples signed on to this two-year deal. They're following Jesus. They got another year left, and they probably thought, do you think at some moment, is this really the guy? Is this really the deal? Have you ever felt that way? I have. You wake up and you're like, is Jesus for real? Did I, do I believe in the right God? Is there only one God? I mean, you struggle through some of these things, and I'm not saying I haven't come out the other side and, and found the deeper faith in Christ, but I think I struggle with some of these things, and I'm sure you have too, and I'm sure the disciples did. What would it have done for their faith to have go up to this mountain, and when Jesus normally walks around just normal, and then suddenly they see him glow like God? What would that have done for their faith? What would it do for your faith if God, when you made a decision, like you're at the store and you're saying, should I get broccoli or bananas? And God says, broccoli. And you're like, yes, I will get my 10% weight loss. You know, I mean, whatever it is, just imagine this voice coming down. That's what happened. How would that have invigorated them? Why is this so important? Of all the people who would want to stay on this mountain forever, I don't think it's Peter and James. I think it would be Jesus. He knows what's coming. What happens for Jesus when he goes down this mountain? He knows that he's going to suffer. He knows that he is going to die. He knows he's going to be completely abandoned by God. He knows his disciples are going to run away. He knows he's going to be flogged and punished and die and face the punishment of hell. If you knew that was coming, wouldn't you just want to stay on vacation? You know you got back from vacation. That was what's going to happen to you. Wouldn't you want to stay a little bit longer? And yet it's Jesus who says to his disciples, uh, the cloud comes and he says, they fell face down to the ground. They're terrified in God's presence. Jesus says, get up. Don't be afraid. And then they make their way down the mountain. How can Jesus say, don't be afraid to be in God's presence? Because he's walking down that mountain. His disciples are about to see Jesus suffer and die and all these things happen to him. What is going to sustain them during that most difficult time? I would say a glimpse of this glory. What is going to sustain you? We had a question in our grow groups that said on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, how overflowing is your life with blessings? And some people said like it's 10 and it's 11 or 12, and, um, which is awesome. Um, in my own life, I feel like I, I'm especially blessed right now, but does your life just kind of keep getting more and more blessed? Or does your life kind of go like this? I don't know where your life is at. Maybe it's at a point you're saying, this is the most blessed I've ever been in my life, but maybe, maybe you're in one of these down spots. And maybe when I said something about a mortgage payment, it hit home. And maybe when I talked about a job, it hit home. And maybe you're talking about being sick, and not just you or your relatives who are older who are going in heaven, maybe your own kids. And you're at one of these low spots in life, and you say, what is going to sustain me through this? I wish God would come and show his glory in full. He doesn't. He only gives you a glimpse. 
He gives you a glimpse of his glory when we read about it in Scripture. He gives you a glimpse of his glory when you take his true body and blood, and he says this is for forgiveness. He gives you a glimpse of his glory as you look through his Scriptures and you say this is the one who will sustain me, who will be with me, who puts his hand on me and says you are forgiven. Do not be afraid. It's time to go on. I don't want this to sound all zen-like, um, but I think every one of us has been in a situation where we wish we were in the past and you feel like Uncle Rico or you're like that lady you saw at the mall with a, still has Farrah Fawcett hair or something and they, they're hoping the world just stands still for a moment. They're hoping that like somehow they made the right decision and you never have to change and they can still wear the giant plastic creepy glasses that only stalkers wear. You know, they, they hope they could just do that and the world moves on, but does the world stand still for you? You know, it just never does. So you can make a decision. You can say, I'm going to live in the past and be disappointed. You can always look to the future, or you can stay in the present. And I'm recommending that you do that, not only with your kids. You enjoy the moment with your spouse, your job, or where you're at right now. But most importantly, God is here in this moment. And God in this moment says, your sins are wiped away. God says, right now you are loved. And I don't know where you are on your blessings, but when you know that you're forgiven, You're always a 10. Amen.